Well, good morning. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. I've eagerly been anticipating being here this morning, but my heart is racing right now, and I'm so sorry. I just love singing those songs this morning, and uh, we just, I'm going to pause before we start, and let's settle. Let's settle our hearts as we look at the Word of God this morning together, okay? Father, we praise you. We come to you with grateful hearts. You are a good, good God. Thank you for allowing us, giving us voices, giving us lung, air in our lungs to be able to sing your praises this morning. And the, your people singing your praise is so encouraging. And so now I pray that you will capture our thoughts as we open the scriptures together and look to you for help and guidance and hope. In Jesus' name, the only righteous one, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Tessa and I have li- never had the privilege really to, to live in a newly built home. We've owned three homes and to, uh, together, and we've been married about 32 years now. And we've owned three homes together, but most of them have been older and needing some work, needing some renovation. And we've, for the most part, enjoyed that process, I think. Some days it would be nice if we could have hired somebody to come in and gut the place, fix it up, and we just move in and enjoy it. I, it was a lot of trial and error at the beginning. I did not really know what I was doing when we got started, but I was able to learn a few things along the way and with some help and input from other people. Uh, we got to, got to do a little, few little renovations. I never call myself an expert or a professional, but at least I can do a few things now. And uh, a few years ago, I had a friend call me. He was thinking about doing a bathroom remodel. And he says, hey, I know you do some work at your house. Would you be, uh, what, what should I do? How should I get started in this? So I gave him a little advice, and I told him kind of the process that I would go through. And, and um, well, demo day came, and I think he handled that like a champ, pulled everything out of the bathroom and got it all ready to, to, go, to go and get started. And I believe if I've got my story right, he probably stood back and said, well, that was fun. What now? What do I do now? What do I do now? And it might feel like that's where we are this morning at Calvary. We're here last week. We assembled together this morning. We have a lot of emotions of the moment, maybe. It's not what we planned. And honestly, it's not what I had planned. I had kind of mapped out a a path over the next 15 to 20 years, and God's changed that for me. But questions last week that Andrew left us with was, why did he come to Calvary? He answered that. He answered the question of, what has God done? What did he do over the last five and a half years, the works of God? And we can rejoice in the wonderful things that God has done in our church the last five years, the last 34 years, really. And then where do we go from here? And his parting words to us were some words of comfort and hope and, and encouragement of how we, how we move forward. Well, here we are today. Right, And we're looking at each other, and we're thinking, okay, what now? What do we do now? And so my desire in the next few moments that we have together this morning is just to try to answer that question with three encouragements, four truths, and two challenges. Three encouragements from the Scripture, four truths about the character of our God, and then two challenges for us individually and corporately as we, as we look ahead for the days ahead. So I'm just going to read my text this morning, which is the last three verses of Psalm 33, verses 20 to 22. But as we read this, I want to ask you to think about something. 
I want you to think about, yes, I want you to have in mind where we are as an assembly this morning, as a fellowship of believers, Calvary Baptist Church of Simpsonville. But I also want you to think about where you are personally. What's going on in your life? What challenges are you facing? What hardships are part of your life today? What struggles are in there? What things are just going on and rattling around your head and say, how am I ever going to deal with this? And the personal trials and personal sufferings that your faith may be going through right now. Because the message today is for all of us, and it's where we are. Okay? So let's read the verses together. We're going to read Psalm 33, 20 to 22. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. You might be very easily see the three truths that I, or the three encouragements from the scripture that I'm going to highlight this morning. But I want to give you a brief background of this text, very brief. Psalm 32 and Psalm 33 in the original Hebrew was probably very likely one continuous passage, one continuous song, a song of David. And the section of 32 is actually a song that talks about the blessing of forgiveness from sin. It's written all about that. The Lord forgives sin. And chapter 33 is a call to the righteous ones to praise the Lord. What we did this morning, lifting our voices in praise to him. And because they have been forgiven, the righteous have been forgiven. So this song is the song of the forgiven ones. This is our song. This is your song. If you've placed your faith and trust in Christ and your sins have been forgiven and you are a follower of Jesus, this is your song today. And as we read the full passage together, did your heart just want to burst out and praise and shout, thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're doing and what you have done? Verse 1, rejoice in the Lord, the righteous ones. Verse 4, the word of the Lord is right. All his work is trustworthy. Verse 5, the earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Verse 18, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him. Thank you, God, for all of these truths. It changes our life. And as we arrive to verse 20, this is where we're going to find our first encouragement from the scriptures that's here for us this morning in our moment of need. And that first encouragement is to wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Now, okay, question. Who likes waiting, right? Think about all the places you have to wait. You have the DMV. Oh, maybe they're getting a little better. I don't know. You have to wait at a doctor's office. You have to wait... And a long line sometimes when you're ordering your $7 latte with a little bit of light whipped cream and a little sprinkle of cinnamon. That, that line is long to get that. Stoplights. Stoplights waiting there. That's tough. But let me tell you the worst one. The worst one is when you, have, when you go on Amazon and you order a package. Then you have to wait two days for it to be hand-delivered to your front porch. I mean, who's got time for that, right? We have, a, we have an impatient society. We have a place that wants results now. That's where we live. We want it right now. And But friends, there's a lesson here for us. During our 34 years of being a part of Calvary, there have been many times that we've had to wait for the Lord to accomplish His purpose, His will, and His plan 
in us and in our, in our congregation. And I understand the waiting process during a season of transition can feel long and uncertain. It can feel perhaps even unnecessary. Why do we have to wait? Why can't we just take care of it and get done and move on? I get it. Waiting can be taxing. But in the context of our scripture this morning, our waiting will not be in vain when we wait for the Lord. It is not pointless and is not wasted time. And the It's not an, oh, well, I can't do anything about it anyway, so I guess I'll just have to wait for the Lord. That's not what this is talking about. This is a call to wait expectantly for the Lord. It simply means we can rest in peace in Him. We can linger with Him. We're not rushing Him as if we think we have the power to do that anyway. The The word here has the idea of an intense or intent expectation. Pastor Robert said it this morning, God's got this. God is going to do something. God is going to do something much better than we can ever dream up or imagine. So we wait for him. We wait for the Lord. And this waiting is a confidence in Yahweh knowing that he has it in his hands. He's taking care of it. No matter what your trial, no matter what you're facing, God has this. Wait for the Lord is the encouragement from the scripture. And we wait because he's our help and our shield. Now, we can easily comprehend what a help is. You know, someone comes alongside and helps you do something you can't do. But what about this shield? Why, why is that important to note here when we wait for the Lord that he's our shield? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in times of change and in times of unrest and in times of physical trials or feelings of uncertainty or anxiousness of heart, these are moments that tend to breed cynicism. It tends to breed doubts. It tends to breed fears, anxieties, and restlessness. Questions. They tend to pop up all at this time. It's attacks from the evil one who wants to attack us on both a personal level, individually in our hearts, and also on a, on a corporate level, this congregation. But friends, let me tell you, these are opportunities and moments to remember the truth. Who is fighting for us? Who is shielding us from these attacks? Who will lead us? Who will help us through the challenges of our pain, through our heartaches, through our suffering, through our physical aches, through the uncertainties, our transitions, and our waiting? Who is it? It's Jehovah. It's Yahweh. It's our great God. The Lord of hosts is with us. And so we can wait. We can wait for him. We can intently expect he's going to do something magnificent. And we wait for him to do what he deems best for us. Let's do it with an eager anticipation, okay? Let's, Let's rally together here, resting in him with confidence. So our second encouragement from the text this morning, it's do you see it in verse 21 when you look at that? It's pretty easy to spot. We're going to trust. Well, maybe easy to spot, but not easy to advance this slide there we go trust in the lord trust in the lord there it is i know some of you are thinking yep i expected this one we just have to trust the lord now and it'll all be okay yeah that's true (laughs) that's exactly true that's what we do we trust god we trust in him and but what is it about this word trust that could help us in our moment of need 
It's confidence. It's confidence. It's a cause, it's because we rely on someone better, more powerful, stronger, and more capable than us. It's a peaceful assurance that all is well. It's all is well. That's what trust in the Lord gives us. Now I'm going to ask my accountant and attorney and financial advisor friends to give me a little room here as I try to illustrate this, okay? Because I know it's not going to be technically accurate, but this is how I think about it. Individual A, the trustee, he makes deposits of assets and funds into an account for the benefit of another person. Someone, individual B, the beneficiary, has full access to this account to meet his needs. And he can draw on that at any time. He has enough there, will never run dry. He believes he will always be there for him to rely on. They can rest in full peace knowing that their needs are met. They can trust, right? Now apply this figurative trust account to our relationships. You pick one. Marriage, friendships, teammates, colleagues, uh, clients, uh, whatever, whatever, schoolmates, whatever you may find, apply it to that. So over time, we're building trust with one another based on love, care, camaraderie, common interests, uh, common goals, fiduciary responsibilities, uh, etc. And now, that arrangement works out pretty good. It works out pretty good until something goes wrong. It works well until the moment the trustee, individual A, the depositor, decides to make a little withdrawal, decides to take some for himself, decides to empty the account, to embezzle the funds, to take it all away, to, to do something, something wrong. It can be a little or it can be a lot. It doesn't really matter, but it affects the beneficiary in a negative way. That confidence, that peaceful assurance that all is well can be gone in just a moment. We trust in the Lord. We trust in the Lord. And I want you to rejoice with me today, with joy in your heart, that this example is not true of our God. His trustworthiness is unending. It is never in jeopardy, never at risk. It's never in a deficit. It is insured by so much more than any regulator could ever dream of. It's sealed by his word and by the blood of his son. Right? You agree with me? It will never be at risk. We can trust the Lord. So we wait for the Lord eagerly anticipating him to work on our behalf. And we trust in the Lord with peaceful assurance that all is well. And then in verse 22, we find a final encouragement, and that's hope in the Lord. Let's read it together. May your faithful love rest on us, O Lord, for we put our hope in you. Now, many of you drove here today in a car, right, or truck, and you had a license plate on the back of the car. And if your license plate is from South Carolina, it may say, in God we trust. There's a lot of those in the parking lot, I know. But there's many, many more that probably have our state motto on it. It's found in our, in our, uh, the state seal as well. In Latin, it is 
Dum Spiro Spero. Nobody really knows how to pronounce Latin, so that's the best. That's what I'm going to give you there. Dum Spiro Spero. And translate it to English. Do you know what it says? While I breathe, I hope. Now, I don't know the back story to why that's part of our state seal and our state motto, but I do know this, that we receive encouragement from the scriptures all throughout to hope in God, to hope in him, that confident expectation that God will bring it to pass. He will bring the desired outcome to pass. And what is that desired outcome? It's not what we think it is sometimes. For the follower of Jesus, it is his will be done on heaven on earth as it is in heaven. His purpose is to be accomplished and his plan to be fulfilled. That's what we hope in. We hope in God. In the Old Testament, waiting and hoping are intimately paired together many times. So the word, a word there is used interchangeably for both wait and hope. So why do we have hope? Verse 18 tells us, if you look up there, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, and those who hope in his steadfast love. It's based on love. It's based on his unending love, unfailing love. It's an unexplainable love that binds us to him. And it's a love that reminds us that when others may abandon us, when others may give up and give in to the hard and walk away, or just can't take it anymore, or just whatever they're going on in their mind, he will not forsake his own god will not forsake his own he will never leave us to figure it out for ourselves i love the lyrics to the hymn that matt boswell and matt papa wrote lord from sorrow deep i call i love them and when they write these words from the chorus they say and oh my soul put your hope in god my help my rock i will praise him Sing, oh sing, through the raging storm. Why? You're still my God and my salvation. And when we sing that here together, we should just lift our voices in adoration and praise to our God because there's hope in him. So rejoice, brothers and sisters. We can wait and we can trust and hope in the Lord with confidence and expectation, confident expectation and peaceful assurance. So what is it about our God that instills such a confident, bold, and expectant hope in his character, in in all of these things? It's his character. It's who he is. It's his attributes. And I'm going to quickly share four truths about the character of our God that I think will help us, okay? Number one, he's sovereign. We say it. We sing it. Our head knows it. We believe this in our head. Sometimes our heart has trouble catching up with that. In the simplest terms, it really just means God's in control of everything. He controls all things. All things happen according to, the, to his plan and his intention. Okay? Ephesians 1.11 tells us this. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's in control. He's in control today. And that should be such a comfort to us because we are not in control of many things at all. Without God's sovereignty, what would we have? Chaos. Utter chaos in our homes, in our personal lives, in our church. It would be just 
torn apart. But God is in control. He has the best plan. He does. He has the best plan, and we can trust him. Truth number two, he is good. We've said it a lot this morning already. He is good. It's just his nature, always and only good. Your hurt and pain may at times blur your perception of reality. Like today, driving in here, water on your windshield. You have to turn the wipers on to clear your view. So let's take the wipers of God's goodness and clear our view today and see him for who he really is. He's a good God. He is good at all times. Hear the words from the scriptures in Nahum chapter 1. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. First Chronicles 16, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Psalm 25, the Lord is good and upright. It's that simple. He's good and he's upright. And when we consider God's sovereignty and his goodness, we must admit that our current situations together here today, whatever you're facing, our current situations are good because he's good. Second Corinthians 4 tells us why we get this wrong sometimes because a lot of times we will look at the things we can only see in front of us we don't look at the things that are unseen we can't see it clearly right now but paul says the things which are seen are temporal in second corinthians chapter four but the things which are not seen are eternal where's the focus where's the focus right that's the question he's so good to us that he lets us know that these temporary difficulties These temporary trials are good for us eternally. They are not pointless. They are not wasted. And it drives us to dependency upon him. We depend upon the Lord, not on our plan, not on our best efforts, not on our strategies, not on our desires. We rest, we wait, we trust and hope because he already knows what is best. And he's good. So truth number three. He's unchanging. He's unchanging. Last fall, our community groups studied the attributes of God together. And I particularly enjoyed this, this one here, the immutability of God. Just discussing it and thinking it over and recalling it to mind, this wonderful attribute of God. The fact that he does not change. And it's helped me, it may not be helpful for you, but it's helped me to think of it this way, that all the attributes of God are a door or on just a door. And on it, the hinge of immutability, uh, unchangingness. Because the way I think about this is if that one thing ever did change, if God could change, how could we trust him? How could we ever say he's in control of all things? How could we always say he's always good if he could change? How would we know he's all-powerful, all-knowing if he could change? If those absolutes about God changed or fluctuated on a whim, how could we trust him? How could we have hope in him? So truth number three, he's unchanging, should strengthen your point of view this morning. Should strengthen your faith in the storm. Should knowing that he is the same God today that we read about in the scriptures that were written centuries ago, he hasn't changed. Malachi 3, I, the Lord, do not change. 
And then James chapter 1 tells us the very same thing. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation. There's no shifting shadow. He doesn't change. And that instills confidence for us today to trust him. Truth number four, he understands our need. When you're in a place of pain, when you're in a place of hurt, uncertainty, or anxiousness of heart, just wondering what's coming next, we don't always think correctly. We say we just want things to be fixed. We say we just want it to get better. But we don't really know what that means or how to do it. You know, I'm in a situation like that now personally, and I want to fix it. But I don't know how. And I think about our God who understands every need of my heart. He understands me better than I know myself. So our gracious, kind, and loving God in his sovereignty, in his goodness, his unchanging, kind, and loving way looks at us with tenderness and compassion. And he says, he says just what Pastor Robert said this morning. I've got this. I've got this for you. I know just what you need for today. I know. And I'm going to give it to you. Just what you need today. Our shepherd is a safe person to confide in. He's safe to draw close to. Because he understands. He understands pain. He understands rejection. He understands loss. But great is our Lord, Psalm 147 tells us. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. He has understanding without limit. So my dear friends, take heart today. Take heart today. We may not know what the outcome of our journey will be. We're on the road. We're moving forward. We don't know what roadblocks, what twists and turns, what hills and valleys we're going to encounter, potholes along the way. We don't know any of that. But our God does. And actually, we take comfort because he's got the whole trip planned out. Right? He's in control. And he understands our need. When those encouragements from the scripture, these four truths about our God, I want to leave us this morning with two challenges. Two challenges. I started off with five. (laughs) And uh, I was thinking yesterday, I just need to drill, drill this down a little bit simpler for myself. So I'm going to leave them with you today. Two challenges. Number one. Oh, got it. Thank you. Live for the glory of one. Live for the glory of one. During this time, we're going to be tempted to want our preferences to be fulfilled. We've got to resist the urge to seek our own desires in this process. We've got to resist the urge to try to manipulate something that we want to take, have take place. Resist the urge, my challenge to you is to resist the urge to slip away from your church family. It's not what we need right now. It's not what you need. Just because of the uncertainty that waiting brings, it's a temptation. Resist it. I know there's some real and important questions on our minds right now. And I I listed a few. I'm going to read them to you. What's the next pastor going to be like? 
What is his focus going to be? Is he going to be a good preacher like Andrew? Is he going to care for us like our pastors do? Is he going to try to change things? How long is this process going to take? Those are questions. They're legitimate questions, I understand. But our eternal good has little to do with our comfort and ease in this life. We must ask ourselves, what are we living for? Are we living for the enjoyment, agreement with my opinions or preferences or interpretations? Or are we living for his purposes, his plans, his gospel? What's motivating us? These moments of pressure and change, they're refining us, they're shaping us, revealing where our loyalty lies. Is it lie with myself or is it, is it in God? Or is it to something else that we treasure the most? And on behalf of the pastoral team, I can commit to you today that we are all ready to stand with you, to support you, to serve you, to help you in any way we can. We are a team, and we're going to continue to do what's best with God's help to fulfill the task which he's called us to do, and that's to serve the church and to love our God. Now, of course... Of course, we're eager. We're eager to, to get a new team member to come on board and join the team and the lead pastor. We're ready. We want to do that. And we ask you to stay connected, keep serving, because the ministry goes on. The work of the Lord continues. Loving our neighbor does not stop. Caring for the hurting does not go away. With God's help at Calvary, Over the next period of time, there's going to be ministries that are going to continue to thrive and to grow and expand, and people's hearts are going to be changed by the Word of God. Children still need to be cared for during our services. Counseling and discipleship opportunities will abound. By God's grace, we will continue to gather here every week to worship, to pray, and to hear the Word together. And by His mercy, we pray that souls are going to be rescued. And that means stretching ourselves a little bit. It means, it means not settling in just to be comfortable and maintain things until the new guy comes. It's to grow in our love and our service for each other and for our king. So we've got to strive to do all of this with a heart that's motivated by the right thing. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, whatever you do, Whatever it is you do, do it for whose glory? God. Do it for the glory of God. So challenge one, commit to live for the glory of one, the glory of God. And then challenge number two is rejoice and pray. Rejoice and pray. Sing for the joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones, praise is becoming to the upright. That's the first verse of the chapter we're in today. When you feel empty, when you feel discouraged, when you feel all is lost, uncertain, perplexed, lift your eyes and lift your hands in praise to our God and say, thank you, Lord. When you have questions like, God, how long must I endure this trial? When, you're going, when are you going to rescue me from this? What now? Lift your heart in praise. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. 
And the response of the righteous one is to rejoice. And along with praise, I ask you to pray. Pray. Commit to that during the season. Pray regularly. Pray fervently. Seek God for help and guidance for us all during this season. You can pray alone. You can pray while you're in your car driving. You can pray while you're standing in one of those lines we talked about earlier. You're waiting for things. Pray. But pray together, too. Pray together, too. And here's some opportunities for you to pray together. Men, on Friday mornings at 6.30, we meet right here. We come in here and we pray together on Friday mornings, and you're all invited to join us. We try to pray for 45 minutes so you can get to work or school, whatever you got going on. But it's a great way to end the week. Ladies, every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. in room 117, just over here on the West Hall, ladies are gathering to pray and seek the Lord. Join them. Join them. You won't regret it. This Wednesday in our community group, it was pre-planned before, we, before all of this took place, but it's a prayer night. So go to your group on Wednesday night and pray together and lift up the needs of the group and the church. Um, plan other times. We're, we're going to be planning some other times where we can gather together and pray for, for, our, for our church family. But it doesn't have to be an official gathering. I encourage you, when you're just hanging out with your friends, you're having fun, you're fellowship, you're going somewhere, pause, take a moment and say, hey, let's pray together. How can we pray for each other? How can we pray for the needs of the church? And, and do it. It'll change your friendship and it'll change your community. Just a few thoughts on what you can pray for, okay? I'm going to give you this and we'll and we've, be finished. Pray that we will thrive as a church during this transition for the glory of God. We don't want to just maintain, we want to thrive. Pray that we will wait, trust, and hope in God. Pray for the pastoral search committee. They have work to do on our behalf. Pray for whom you should nominate to be on the pastoral search committee. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Pray now in case you're asked to be on that committee. Maybe God wants you there, but pray so that you know if, God, if that's what God would have for you. Pray for your pastoral team. Some of our responsibilities are going to get adjusted for a little while. Will you pray for us? Thank you for your nice notes and words of encouragement you've given us. Pray for unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that we will endure together. Pray that we will all grow closer to Jesus. Pray that personal desires will be pushed to the background and God's will will be done. And pray, here's an important one. Pray today for the man who will be in this role as lead pastor. It's very likely, it's very likely somewhere today he's preaching to a congregation that he loves and a congregation that loves him. And he's going to get a call one day. And he's going to, we're going to say, hey, would you consider coming and being our pastor? <laughs> it's going to rock his world. It's going to shake him. He's going to be seeking the Lord. It's going to affect his family, his wife. And we know that pastoral transitions can be hard on families. We know that. And so we need to pray for him. And we need to pray for that congregation because they're going to be standing one day, sitting like we are today, saying, what now? What do we do now? So we have a lot to pray for. We have a lot of needs to pray for. So I encourage you to commit, to rejoice, and to pray.